Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we have the honor of spending 10 minutes with a pioneer in autism awareness who also happens to be a world-renowned professor in animal sciences during her day job at Colorado State. A luminary and friend to both man and cow alike, her books and research have revolutionized the way people perceive neuroscience, autism, animal rights, and thinking writ large. Her first name could describe just how so many people cherish her mind. Welcome to the EdCast. It's great to be here. This is a bit of a homecoming for you, Dr. Grandin, being born in Boston. Are all the memories flowing back? Oh, yes. We went right by where my uh, grandfather lived, uh, Memorial Drive, and he was a co-inventor of the automatic pilot for airplanes. Oh. So I got a lot of old memories as they went by his old apartment building there on the Charles. Thanked him for, you You flew in today from Colorado, so that worked yep. out great. So you're here today at Harvard to present on, on how all kinds of minds can help the world. It's the title of your speech. And to our listeners who may not know about visual thinking in various other forms, what do you mean by different types of minds? Well, when... Students end up getting a label, whether it's autism, Asperger's, dyslexia, some kind of learning problem. They often have uneven skills, and there'll be an area of talent in one area and a big area of deficit in another area. I'm an extreme visual thinker. I think completely in pictures. You know, if you give me words, it's like putting keywords into Google for images. It's also associative thinking. But what I cannot do is algebra. So you might wonder, well, how did I get through college? Well, in 67, finite math was the required class, and that's what saved me. Now, another kind of specialist mind is the mathematical thinker. This is a person that thinks in patterns rather than in pictures, and these kids often have trouble with reading. And then a third type of word thinker can memorize all kinds of facts. But what worries me is there's a lot of creative minds that may be getting shut out now, Einstein had no speech until age three. I picked up a magazine about him in the airport this morning. He also had a lot of temper tantrums when he was a little kid, and he definitely would be probably labeled with um, autism today. Steve Jobs was a weird loner who brought snakes to school. You know, what would happen to those people in today's educational system? I'm worried about them getting screened out, and we need these different kinds of minds. And so important to just all the different types of work that needs to get done across the world. Dr. Grandin, many have described you as an interpreter for people with autism, someone who knows and can communicate autism. Um, how do you feel about that almost ambassador-like distinction and status of potentially being the most prominent spokesperson of what it's like to be autistic? Well, autism's a very big spectrum. One end of the spectrum, you've got scientists and engineers and artists. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got individuals that remain very handicapped. I think when they finally get into all the neuroscience, they're going to find that autism is maybe three or four different basic spectrums. Um, also in my book, uh, The Autistic Brain, I talk about the, some of the scientific research that shows that there really are different kinds of visual thinkers, the photorealistic visual thinker and the mathematical thinker. I want to apologize for having laryngitis today. I'm just getting over flu. You sound, you sound great, and, and you've done so many wonderful things. If anyone just Googles your name, you, there's tons and tons of things that you've done. TED Talks, commencement addresses, and then obviously your talk today at Harvard from a pedagogical perspective. How do you sit down to construct a useful way in teaching this material? Uh, take us through this process of coming up with your speeches. 
Well, I want to emphasize uh, building on a kid's strengths. You know, when I was a young child in elementary school, my ability in art was always encouraged. And we'd go visit my grand, grand and grandfather there on the Charles River, and I'd ask him, why is the sky blue? Why is grass green? And grandfather would answer all of my questions. You know, I had an interest in science from a very young age. But I'm getting concerned that some of these thinkers are different, that are different are going to get screened out. And the mathematicians need us visual thinkers so we don't make a mistake like the Fukushima nuclear power plant. When I found out why those plants burned up, I couldn't believe it. They made a mistake that no visual thinker would ever make. It's not a very good idea when you live next to the sea to put all your super important emergency equipment in a non-waterproof basement. Some crank them shut submarine doors and some sump pumps would have prevented that accident. That is equipment I would be perfectly capable of buying and getting it installed there. And it just blew my mind. And when I was young, I used to think it was because the engineers were stupid. No, it's not because they're stupid. It's because they do not see it. It's a different kind of mind. That's why you need to have both kinds of minds working together. Very important to, to, to realize that fact. Now, I'm thinking most of the people in the audience tonight, they'll likely know you from your work in autism activism. Um, and I'm curious, is the way the world sees you different than the way you see yourself? And has that changed in recent years with more media attention? Well, I mean, I was, I was almost 35 years old before I started doing autism talks. I still consider myself a professor of animal science first. And I think that's really important. I'm seeing too many smart little 10-year-olds walking up to me, and all they want to do is talk about their autism. I'm also seeing too many of these kids kind of getting coddled, and they're not learning basic skills like shopping, shaking hands. Those are kinds of skills that were drilled into me. You know, autism is an important part of who I am. I don't want to change because I like the logical way that I think. But I'm seeing too many little kids that are smart just kind of going nowhere, and that drives me absolutely crazy because when I go out in the metalworking shop, I have run into people that I know are on the spectrum. I've run into scientists that I know are on the spectrum. You can go out to the Silicon Valley, half the people out there are on the spectrum. And you know what one resources manager, the tech company, said to me? They said, oh, we know half of them are Asperger's, but we don't talk about it. You touched on this a little bit in your earlier answer. Have your priorities or passions, they've shifted over the years, and sometimes they've merged a bit, where some days you maybe want to delve into your livestock and cattle research, and other days it's autism ad advocacy. Um, have you managed to sort of merge these two together in both your books and your research? Well, I'm not going to give up livestock. And one of the reasons for keeping my original profession is I think I'm a better role model for kids if I still actually do have a real job. I think this is a really important thing. And one of the things that I've been really emphasizing is young students, teenagers, they need to learn work skills. When I was 13, I had a sewing job. When I was 15, I cleaned eight horse stalls every single day. And I'm seeing too many smart kids graduating from college, and they can't keep a job. They haven't learned that discipline and responsibility of go to work every day. You've got to do the job. I'm curious. You mentioned how you think visually. And now we're in a world with the internet and Google image search where you can see literally thousands of various images from across the world in under 10 or five or 10 minutes. Is the advent of the internet and the accessibility of all of these new images, is that exhaustive to your thinking now that you're able to access all of these unique images? Well, I, um, I can control the visual thinking. 
you know, before virtual reality designing was invented, I could sit in a conference room at a meat company and we could discuss some different conveyor systems and I could tell you whether they would work or not. I could actually run them in my head. And at that time, I did not know that the other engineers were not able to do this. And that caused for some friction and some fights because I just, I didn't realize how different my thinking was. Two last final questions. End of a long day. You go home and you relax. What's your favorite thing to do? Oh, I, um, I like to go to the movies. Um, I thought Avatar was a great movie. Uh, and, and that's a nice segue to the final question, which in my opinion is probably the hardest question you'll get today. What is your favorite Claire Danes movie? Well, of course, I really liked what she did, you know, depicting me. You know, watching Claire Danes play me was like going in the 60s time machine. She did an absolutely wonderful job. I also like the fact that all my projects and my drawings are in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're really well and accurately depicted in that. And, and not only did she do a wonderful job, you've done a wonderful job in so much of what you've done, uh, even just today in these past 10 minutes. Before we let you go as a sort of good luck charm, um, I found this little gift in the Harvard bookstore. Um, it's a stuffed cow wearing a Harvard With shirt. A Harvard shirt? And I thought, this must you have been made just for you, Dr. Grandin. And the thing is about that cow is he's smiling. Yeah. And I think he's smiling because there are people like you out there doing the work that you do. Harvard cow. I didn't think that there would be such a thing. Dr. Grandin, thank you so much for being okay. on the EdCast. You're this welcome. has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.